0: I told this story once before, but I had to take it down. So I'm telling it again. This is about the Jacques Cartier bridge murders. It's called Pillar 111.
1: With MailChimp, you get more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. With things like data-driven recommendations and powerful automation tools. Get started today at MailChimp.com smartmarketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses.
2: We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by RootMetrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks.
0: Not only did did I do it uh, once uh, before, I actually did a, an entire episode in the last 48 hours, um, but I hated it. It was just too, um, it was too tight. Recorded the whole thing, put it into post, added music, hated the music. Life isn't fair. Justice is blind and dysfunctional. And some cops aren't smart and dedicated, like on television. This is who killed Teresa. <laughs>
1: your story that'll make a change i tell you when well, I'm way out of range It's about a man who's cruel and mean I promise not to cause
0: So the Jacques Cartier Bridge murders. So this happened July 3rd, 1979. So we're coming up on the 41st anniversary of those murders, of those children. So this is this is the basic story, which um, I think anyone who grew up in Quebec in that era is aware of. How could they not? It's it's uh, you know it's burned into their memory. Um, but if you're not from Quebec, uh, specifically Montreal, you've you've probably forgotten it or never heard of it. So it involves two children and these to really bad um, offenders and it, it goes like this on on Tuesday July 3rd 1979 these two young long gay students they attend a concert at Plastination which in that era was the music venue um, for the Montreal's world's Fair. Expo 67, but when Expo was over in 67, uh, those fairgrounds continued into the 1970s. They changed the name to Man and His World. You could you could go to the amusement park associated it, with it, which was most popular, and you could also visit the pavilions. But one of the most popular places was Place uh, de Nation, which was an outdoor concert venue. So these kids decide to go see a a concert on July 3rd, um, Tuesday. So this would have been right after, like, Canada Day weekend. Sunday would have been the holiday. might might have been marked on Monday, the 1st, or the 2nd. So now we're at the 3rd. So um, we have 15-year-old Chantelle Dupont, young lady, And she's supposed to attend this concert with her boyfriend, but he was busy that night. So Chantal went to the concert with this boy's younger brother, a 14-year-old named Maurice Marcille. And um, the concert was boring. Um, I I think they thought it was a rock concert. It turned out to be more of a adult kind of folk fair. So they they split around 11 p.m., and they, they tell Chantal's uh, sister, who's also there, that they're leaving. Um, and they're heading back home. Now, the way back home is you would go up these ramps uh, onto the Jacques Cartier Bridge, and then you'd take the pedestrian path. You know, you turn one way, it would take you onto the island of Montreal, to downtown Montreal. Uh, you turn the other way, it would take you into Longue. They lived in... Longueuil, And so they head home, and it's about an hour's walk across the Jacques Cartier Bridge back to their suburban neighborhood in Longueuil. Chantal and Maurice never made it back to Longueuil that night. A week later, their bodies were pulled from the St. Lawrence River. Chantal at uh, Pointe-aux-Trembles and Maurice further down river near uh, La Norie, the, um, the central headquarters of the Sarté de Quebec, now that's at 1701 rue Parthenay. So it's right off the exit, the Montreal exit for the Jacques Cartier Bridge. And uh, if you're in that headquarters, you have an excellent view for the, to the bridge. The bodies of these young people, they're brought to the Central Morgue, which is located in that building at that time. I think it still is. Um, And um, autopsy reveals that uh, Chantal and Maurice were alive when they hit the water, but this was not a drowning accident. They had been choked, unconscious, then thrown from the bridge. Chantal had been raped before her fall. Time of the identification. Homicide detectives learn there's two men: 26-year-old Gilles Pempar and 25-year-old Normand Guerin. They're they're being held upstairs on the 13th floor of Parthenay for uh, rape and robbery charges, committed, you know, committed in the area of the Jacques Cartier Bridge, and. Um, man in his world uh, in late June So on a hunch detectives decide to, to question them about the murder of uh, Dupont and uh, Marcel uh. They get lucky. Normand uh, Guerin, who was the, um, I would say, uh, the, he, well, he was he was the younger one, but if you consider this, a, um, some would consider this a folie a deux. Um, he was certainly the one compliant who was gonna go along with Pempar in whatever he had planned, whatever he had mapped out in his mind. And uh, Guérin immediately confesses to the whole thing. So this is what happened. On that night, July 3rd of the concert, Chantal and Maurice, they would have had to... um, So Place des Nations is to the, um, I guess, the south end, more west, really, of uh, Jean Drapeau Island. Um, so the outdoor um, venue is right at the tip of the island, and they would have had to walk through the park, in, quite wooded now, it's not what it once was, but uh, it would have passed, uh, passed the, um, the American pavilion from Expo 67, quite, um, quite prominent, iconographic, large geodome. Uh, you can't miss it. It's it's landmark in Montreal. So they would have passed that, and once they passed that, they would get to the bridge, and there would have been, as as I say, paths leading up to the bridge, walkways. Um, so this is what this is what they're doing. They're heading back to Longueuil. And uh, Guérin and Pempar are waiting for them in the bushes. And uh, according to Guérin, his confession, he says... Then Barr took out his knife, and I took out my starter's pistol. So he's got a he's got he's starter's pistol. Um, I mean, actually, very very familiar. I think when we talked in the case of uh, um, last time the Thierry Corbey case, that uh, often you would carry a weapon that looked like a weapon but wasn't really a weapon because you did it, that way you wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be held on a severe charge. So he's got a starter's pistol. And, and so just picture it if if you can, if you ever walk the bridge, it's dark, right? Cars are flying by, you know, the headlights flashing. And then uh, Girard continues. He says, Gilles told the couple to turn around and walk back towards Montreal. The girl said, why? Gilles said, You'll see the Jacques Cartier Bridge uh, is another very prominent landmark in um, in Montreal. It's much different from the Champlain Bridge, I guess. Well, the old Champlain Bridge is a new one now. The old one opened in '62. So the Jacques Cartier Bridge is like one of these traditional steel truss cantilever structures you know, it kind of rises up uh, in the middle at two points. You know, the Golden Gate Bridge in a more modern version. Uh, so um, about halfway across the St. Lawrence River, there are these, these off-ramps that allowed you access, as I said, to Man and His World um, and to Ronde, the amusement park. Uh, the, the bridge is two high spans rise up from two concrete pillars. Um, The first pillar is Pillar 26, and that rests on the mainland alongside the docks, the rail yards in Montreal. And Pillar 111, the highest spot on the bridge, extends um, up from the St. Lawrence waters. So it's not really on the Longuey side. It's midway across the St. Lawrence. At Pillar 111, Guirin and Pempar stopped. They they ordered this young couple to climb down a service ladder that led to a... um, like a main catwalk on the the underside of the bridge, wooden catwalk. Uh, uh, Guérin asked Maurice if he had any money. Just $2, he replied. So Guérin took the $2, and then he led the boy away, a little further down the catwalk, so that Pimpar could be alone where he... uh, with with, with uh, Chantal Dupont, where he proceeded to rape fifteen-year-old Chantal Dupont for a period of about forty minutes. After this, Guerin also raped Chantal, while Pimpar took Maurice uh, out on to one of the high beams of the bridge, to the center beam. At this point, uh, 20, 25 year old uh, Pempar tells 14 year old uh, Maurice Marcil, who wasn't even supposed to be there that night, he was standing in for his brother. He tells him he has to die because of what he saw, and he asks the boy to say his prayers. Maurice begs to be strangled before he's. Pushed off the bridge, at which point Pimpar chokes him with a rope for about five minutes. Once Pimpar determines that he's unconscious, he throws Maurice into the water 160 feet below. Chantel would have heard the splash of Maurice's body. Then she too was choked and pushed through a guard wire into the St. Lawrence River. Chantal and Maurice were both alive when they hit the water. Now the July twenty ninth edition of allo Police, at this point erupted with uh, a fury of outrage that had rarely been seen in the the French tabloid. Um, up until this point, you know they were they were quite content to uh, report rather objectively, rather coldly, and mercilessly, um, on the criminal affairs uh, of, uh, you know, the Quebec uh, offenders and their unfortunate victims. But um, this was different. Um, and at this point, this is the point where Allo police, this tabloid, really begins to weigh in and really begins to question, What's going on here? And, and I would take it further and say, what part are they playing? In, in, in what small way are they somewhat responsible for documenting all of this this horror? But they don't point the finger at themselves. They point it directly at Quebec Quebec's minister of justice, relatively new minister of justice, Marc-André Bedard, and the, the front page of the paper, rather um, matter-of-factly stated, um, Point blank, uh, Monsieur uh, Minastre, our children are in danger. Takes up the whole front page. Uh, as always, um, there's, there's a lot of visual content with this episode. And you can check it out on the website, TeresaLore.com, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E.com. That always sounds like a plug for the website. It's it's not. I could give a rat's ass whether you visit the website or not, but, but I am talking about visual things here. There's letters in French. There's um, photographs. Um, so if, if you really want to get your kicks on this stuff, it's all there. So um, the paper, this edition on the 29th, and remember, Allo Police was um, was a weekly, uh, so it took them two or three editions to get their shit together, but they probably really needed to digest this before they really made their statement. And it begins with a full-page open letter to the Minister of Justice, Marc André Bedard, from Allo Police's editor, André Perrin inviting him to read through the account in the edition of the story of these brutal murders of Maurice of Marseille and Chantal Dupont at the hands of these offenders, Pempard and Guérin. And, and that part of it is what I just re- recounted to you. It's horrible, but it's horrible for a purpose. And that's why, that's why I, I gave the L.O. police account. Perrin then goes on to question the rights of the accused, particularly in the cases of Pempar and Guérin, who were recidivists. Um, this was not their first time uh, at the criminal justice rodeo. And um, it was believed that they had received easy treatment in parole hearings. Uh, so, uh, André Perrin, he, he asks the minister why there isn't uh, greater police presence uh, at um, Man in His World and uh, Place des Nations, indeed, even, even calling at this point for the creation of an independent police force to protect children who are at the mercy of dangerous criminals, and calling the situation that currently exists intolerable. Um, André Perrin's letter um, open letter is all on the website. In, in, in a two-page article, the again, the, the paper goes on to recount uh, the petty criminal li- lives of Norman Guerin uh, and uh, Gilles uh, Gilles Pampard. So they didn't start as murderers and rapists. Um, I think these were poor guys who looked for opportunities to rob people so they could get um, money. And it escalated from there. It escalated to rape. Who knows if they were responsible for other murders, uh, to our knowledge. These are the only two murders that they um, they were tried on, 79. So they they... Um, I'm not trying to make a point for these guys being responsible for past murders. I don't know. I don't really care. Uh, they had been in and out of prison uh, throughout the 1970s for theft, for armed robbery, for armed robbery involving sequester- sequestration. Um, and and Pimpar, the older one, uh, Pimpar kind of looked like Jesus. You know, he had this long, dark hair um, with a with like a Jesus beard. Guérin was more uh, clean-cut, very blonde, very Aryan-looking. Uh, Pimper had he had just been paroled in March of '79, so uh, two months before uh, the bridge murders. And in June and early July, there'd been this series of robberies. That's that's why they were on the thirteenth floor and sexual assaults at the uh, Place de Nation, La Ronde. Jacques Cartier Bridge area, all later it was determined, all committed by Guirin and Pimpar. The, <clears throat> the back page of that July 29th, 1979 edition of Alo Police, Police uh, consists of a full page, uh, Grand Guignol-esque artists rendering. It's like a cartoon of, a horrific cartoon of the July 3rd murders. And in that full page, you know, today it looks, it looks, um, you know, it looks like a graphic novel by today's standards. So in, in, in this picture, we see Guerin and Pimpar standing within the, the steel girders of the bridge, um, apparently having just thrown the children off the Jacques Cartier Bridge. Um, and below them, we see Chantal and Maurice flying through the air, hurtling towards the waters below. Uh, and in the background, you can see the Montreal skyline, quite peaceful. It's. You can see you can see Place Ville Marie in silhouette. You can see the cross on the mount. You can see Mount Royal. All of that. It's uh, what can I say? It's it's gruesome, man. Uh, you know the photo on the website is black and white. My memory of that is this sickly green. You know, like some garish, uh, Beastle Halloween decoration, uh, and I came across it. Um, I was looking at microfiche of L.O. Police when I was at the, the Quebec Library, Quebec National Library, a couple of years ago. And so I'm going through the microfiche and, and I, I stumbled on this edition. I probably saw it before, but it for I was probably interested in other things. So I probably gleaned it and whizzed by it. But this time I, I kind of went through page for page. And when you come on that back page, you know, on microfiche, as you're going through, you get to the last page. And then the next page is is sort of like a a filler. It sort of says it's not part of the paper. It says it introduces the next edition of Allopoli on the real Hello police. And here's this, here's this drawing that um, um it's it's gruesome. It I mean the, the characters look zombified. Is the only word I can do that, to give it justice. This, this same edition of a low police was um, was quite an addition. Uh, it reported on the the recently written appeal by Jacques Deary. Uh, we've talked a lot about the Deary Corbe case. So Jacques was um, the father of 13-year-old Dion Deary, murdered in '75, also from Longueuil, and he writes this appeal again to Justice uh, Marc Andre Bedard to to. You know, it's been four years, the case is still unsolved. It's in the hands of Longuet. He asks to have the file transferred from the Longuet force to the Sarté du Québec. And in, in reading this story, uh, this appeal from uh, Andre Perrin and Alo Police, uh, this appeal from Jacques Adiri. Something becomes very, very apparent about 1979. The message was pretty clear that uh, the children were getting murdered and the police weren't doing enough to stop it. Children, because uh, so if we run the clock uh, from 74, 75 on, there's a lot of children being murdered from the South Shore in this era. You first had uh, Debbie O'Brien and Deb, uh, or excuse me, Norma O'Brien, Debbie Fisher from Chateauguay. You know, later their their offender was apprehended in 75. But um, the guy was a a juvenile. Um, So there was not a lot known to the public about that case. He would have been tried in private. Uh, His identity would have been kept secret. So a lot of suspicion, a lot of mistrust, a lot of paranoia in this age. Many felt that that they didn't get the right guy in O'Brien Fisher, Um, that the guy that they... um, they eventually did try, got off lightly for the murders of those two uh, teenagers. So shortly after that, you have Sharon Pryor from, although well, she's from Pointe-Saint-Charles. Her body is, is found in Longueuil. And, uh, and the irony that, um, that Pryor was following, uh, I believe, the O'Brien case in the tabloids. You know, she's very actively interested in it and then winds up murdered herself. Again, uh, a teenager, and then you have Deary Corbet, these teenagers, right, out for a motorcycle ride. They never return home, um, and their bodies are found in a, in a field. We've talked a lot about that, but you know, it's children. Deary Corbet reminds me a lot of Dupont and and Marcel, for the very fact that they were just kids out doing what kids do, you know, riding a, riding a, like a, a motorbike, kid's new motorbike, you know, on a late evening going to a, a, what they thought was a rock show, uh, just doing their, their normal things, not necessarily any, by any means risky and uh, risky behavior. Um, and then they get caught up, you know, in, in the one case, we know the offenders Pimpar and Girin. The other case we don't know who murdered uh, Diri Corbet, although I have my suspicions, as you know. Both crimes, highly sadistic offender behavior. I mean, what the hell was going on in this era? It's no wonder that um, things boiled over in the tabloid press.
2: We did it again. True crime on A E with groundbreaking original shows like the first 48, cold case files, accused, guilty or innocent, and American justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking true crime every Thursday and Friday on A.
0: It didn't end there. All through the summer, the summer of seventy-nine, LO police railed on these justice flashpoints in Quebec. That were boiling over in the province. The the, the following week after the, the July 29th edition, the headline in in police simply reads "228 uh, uh, um, viols, 228 Rapes," and in write writers they expressed that the the uh, the incident on the Jacques Cartier bridge was not an isolated affair you know there had been 228 rapes in the province up to that point up to that point we're only midway through 79 and that's that's only counting the ones that were reported to the police that's only counting the ones that were reported and the police believed to be in their estimation, legitimate sexual assaults. It's not counting for all the ones from their very male point of view determined were um, not credible. So when a little police says 228 rapes in Quebec up to that point, I would argue the numbers in, in, in the thousands. <laughs> In response um, to the previous week's editorial calling on this for this independent police force for tourist attractions, um, a spokesman for the Minister of Justice, Marc Andre Bedard, counters that Mo- the Montreal force, he's, they, they say, was was fully equipped to respond to those jurisdictions, and that the minister did not want to inf- interfere in the matters of municipal police, Um, which um, that's, to to my mind, that's just amazing. The Montreal force, this is the force that today, from that era and beyond, has um, well over 800 unsolved murders uh, and can't seem to get their act together with a cold case bureau despite having been um, established over two years ago. I don't think, and this is putting it kindly, the Montreal Police Force is fully equipped. Oh, I think they're fully equipped in terms of resources, in terms of money, in terms of budgets, but they are not investigatively competent to do their jobs. In, an, in another editorial Uh, Bernard uh, Tetreau, the paper's uh, director of information, argued that Quebec children were in danger because of a justice system that too often granted parole to offenders that didn't deserve it. Too many offenders were getting away with serious crimes while, in his words, great defenders of individual rights against the rights of the collective too often used the excuse that murders such as the Jacques Cartier Bridge Affair are isolated cases. The paper now calls the Jacques Cartier Bridge murders one of the most sadistic crimes in the annals of the Quebec judiciary and proceeds to give a profile of some of these 228 rapes, uh, 144 of them in Montreal alone. With, with then the this, Serté this du Québec weighing in and explaining that their suspected tally of 42 cases is um, statistically incomplete. Yeah, no shit. So this is, this is just one example. In this one example, the paper recounts uh, in this edition the story of a 14-year-old Montreal girl who's sent off on a vacation with her aunt and uncle in Joliette. In Joliette, um, Joliet, I believe, is on the North Shore, midway between Montreal and Quebec City. And she's sexually molested by both the aunt and the uncle. And when her father learns of the assaults, he didn't want to press charges against family members. So he told the police that it was probably his daughter's fault anyway. In a, in a social court proceeding, in social court, not in a criminal court, the aunt and the uncle are fined $100 and they're ordered never to see the girl unless in the, in the company of the parents. I can only imagine how that worked out. After the trial of Pimpar and Guerin in the fall of 1978, Investigators were asked to comment on the murders of Dupont and Marcille. No murder ever hit me like this one, SQ Detective André Gargion stated. The tension didn't go away until the judge sentenced them each to 25 years without parole. You hear a lot about police brutality says Detective Sergeant Pierre Leroux. People kept asking me if I felt like pounding them after we heard those terrible confessions. But I didn't. I just felt weak. Both detectives stated that despite the nature of the crimes, Montreal wasn't a horrible place. But no hitchhiking, ever, ever. Bizarrely added, Andre Gargian. And no picking up hitchhikers. Anyone who does it is just plain stupid. There's a, there's a lot of touch points to this story that I find interesting, um, and I, I wouldn't just tell it, you know, if if I didn't feel there were th- that it uh, in some ways uh, is expressive of um, other themes and topics we've been talking about. I mean, uh, it's quite cruel on the one hand to b- bring up this history, knowing that uh, in terms of justice, uh, it was resolved um, with the best possible outcome, you could say. They were caught. They were sentenced to 25 years in prison. So let's forget about it, you could say. On the other hand, I mean, just, you know, really, you, let, let's start with the personal. Um, you know, Jacques Cartier-Bridge, that area. I know that area very, very well. Um, given the uh, amount of time I've spent, um, at Parthenay, the SQ headquarters, um, I, I've, I've had a lot of opportunity to walk that area, um, in the shadows of the Jacques Cartier bridge. So it's very personal to me, uh, Place des Nations, the concert venue where they were attending that night. Um, I've certainly been there. Uh, I think I saw King Crimson there in 1981. Teresa certainly was there uh, mid-70s to see Peter Frampton. Um, and it's weird, you know. Um, all of that is has kind of crumbled. It's, it's like archaeological ruins now. But, you know, the basic skeletal structure of Place de Nation is, is still intact. You can still visit there and, Kind of see the ghosts of the '60s and, and '70s. It's um, it's very haunting. You know, I'll just tell you, it very very much is. So there's, uh, you know, there's that aspect to it. I, I find Marc Andre Bedard, the, the justice minister, to be a really intriguing character. I I don't have a lot of um, uh, points of light. Uh, In Quebec, in terms of law enforcement um, and justice, but he is he is one that that is uh, a beacon is too strong a word, but certainly um, a positive light. But as I said, Bedard was not in uh, power, you know, in that appointment for long. He he rose with the Parti de Quebecois victory in seventy six. He won his uh, writing, I think, in Shikutami, and then Levesque appointed him as Minister of Justice. So he'd barely gotten his heels wet um, and was dealing with a very heady time in 77 and 78 in terms of, I mean, other justice matters as well, labor issues, et cetera. But in terms of sexual murders, I mean, this was, this was an era so he's dealing with all of that. And I always found um, in what I've read him to be a very thoughtful, rational uh, person in, in a cabinet of uh, some quite capable people. You know, when the P- Parti de Québécois, you know, the, the the myth of the Parti de Québécois is that uh, they came into power and they scared the shit out of the English and everybody left. Now there's a point of that that is true, but it, it there is also a, a demonizing view that Levesque and his, you know, this bastion of, you know, Quebecois, we're just going to ruin everything, and and that's not, tr- you know, going to make everyone speak French, and and any other cultures could go to hell, and that's that's a bridge too far. That's not really true. I think I think the year after uh, their first year in power. Like uh, the newspaper La Presse did like one of those report card things, right? How are they doing? The new cabinet. And uh, and Bedard got an A+. And this, this was, again, this was a group of people, you know, teachers and intelligentsia uh, coming to power. They, they were not seasoned, experienced politicians, which was the point. The last thing you wanted was another era of... Barassa, Robert Barassa, although that's, you know, later, that's exactly what you got. Um, I'm not a fan of, um, I'm not a fan of Barassa, uh, despite the fact that my family have been um, lifelong Canadian liberals. Uh, that's, that's not me. Um, but Bedard shown, you know, in a, in a cabinet where you, you, you had Claude Charon, uh, you had uh, Pierre Bourgo. Uh, Porgo was not a PQ, but he was certainly given a... Um, um, after the election, he was given a patronage appointment by the party in power. So you had these really highly capable and, and then they did well, these guys. But I would say they had their, their hands f- full. Um, I mean, let's face it, to, to begin with, the uh, Montreal police got lucky in the fact that they had the two offenders on the uh, on the thirteenth floor. They got they got lucky. Otherwise, I doubt they they would have they would have caught these guys for these two horrible murders. And you know, at a time when when um, issues were justice and were were spinning out of control, did did Bedard accomplish anything in in terms of those those elements that I'm interested in not so much, but this is a government that really had its its hands full with the economy and and education. Uh, they had a full plate, and and the world doubting them, the world in fear that they that they were gonna break off and separate. So they really, uh, you know, they had they had many many issues to deal with, and to let them slightly off the hook. I would say um, justice was just one of them, and justice got shortchanged. You know these guys, uh, um, Pimpar and Giran. Uh, as I said, you could you could say that you know the, the system worked. Um, but look, let's let's reframe it. These are guys for the price of, of for, for two dollars they they raped a girl and and murdered the girl and her 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 boyfriend's brother in the most savage way possible 40 minutes for an unendurable amount of time and then and then strangled them just to the point of death but not quite and then tossed them uh, 160 feet um, off pillar 1, 111 into the St. Lawrence River. Uh, And that's why with this crime, you will hear, you know, the conservative keepers of the flame, a flashpoint for for them. But there's always a different opinion, right? Um, There's somebody who follows me on Twitter, uh, Lise LaSalle, has written a very, very good piece about this affair. Called the The Bridge Murders to Err is human, to forgive divine. And it's about the restorative justice journey of Pimpar, Pimpare, and Girin. And for one, how that was achieved, and for one, how that was not. And what's so interesting about that is is that in, in I believe in restorative justice, I always I wouldn't say I always have. I um, I came around to it. And in the case of Pimpari, it was never going to work. And in the case of Guerin, you could make the, the argument that it it would and it did. So in a Canadian process, you, you know, life imprisonment, I've said this before, is not really life imprisonment. And, and you can complain about that all you want. But the goal is rehabilitation, always. Now, they might not always provide... The skills and the programs and the psychological uh, assistance uh, while inca- incarcerated to achieve that, but that is the goal, and it was not going to work from Pompari. He was, you know, I remember reading one of his uh, parole decisions, and he he wanted some right. I don't know if it was day passes or, or what it was that he wanted. He wanted some privilege that he currently didn't have, and he was denied that privilege. And the sticking point was that he was caught um, with a computer with like over a hundred photos of young women, you know, semi-nude or or scantily clothed, posing in front of the Jacques Cartier Bridge. And you could see how this would be a problem to justify um, a case for rehabilitation. Girard, on the other hand, is a more interesting affair. The family forgave him, um, some of the family. And, uh, you know, there's a film called, I think it's called, uh, it's called The Sacrifice. And I've never seen it, but I I, I sort of know about it. It Sort of opens with um, Claude Poirier, the former L.O. police uh, journalist and sometime negotiator. Saying, um, saying that he, had, he doesn't understand the family's forgiveness, the parents' forgiveness. He said that, um, you know, these guys got what they deserved. His words are, the, I cannot imagine the parents of these children forgiving these monsters. But that's what they did. Uh, Sylvie Dupont, uh, Chantal's sister, the one, I believe the one who was with her at the concert that night, who Chantal said, um, you know, we're heading back. This is boring. Uh, she forgave them. I think about ten years later, just before joining a religious order, the the Sisters of Nazarene. Um, she said, um, speaking of the crime, she said, um, uh, "You know, Lord, you have forgiven. I too am Christian, so I have to do the same." And and again, the Duponts. I think I uh, believe the. Maurice Merceil's mother is is steadfastly not going to forgive. I believe she lives. I believe she lives in France. And the last time, um, Guérin uh, had a parole hearing, she showed up to make sure that he was not. Um, he was now released. But uh, Chantal's parents did. and the last scene of the movie, ends. Uh, with them visiting him while incarcerated holding Gi in their arms um, and saying that this is the most beautiful moment of our lives they offered their daughter to the Lord by forgiving her murderer uh, I believe is, are the words in the in the film I'll leave you with this. About about 10 years ago, I took my daughters to La Ronde, the, uh, the amusement park on, uh, on the Jeanne de Trapeau Island. And uh, the parking lot um, is, is to the south of the island. You have to walk under the Jacques Cartier Bridge um, from that parking lot in order to get to the, uh, the entrance of La Ronde. And um, I remember, you know, as I was with my daughters. I should have been thinking of those things, but I couldn't help as I passed under the bridge to have my mind wander to those murders. This situation repeated itself a number of winters ago, and uh, it, it can come up on you unexpectedly, right? Um, and you, you don't necessarily want it to visit you, but there it is. Anyway, so I was I was in Montreal. I was staying in the Plateau region, and um, so I decided to go for a, a run one morning uh, along the Montreal's waterfront. Uh, kind of gray, rainy uh, morning. Uh, Saint Lawrence was choppy, um, and and near the Ferris wheel, there's now a big Ferris wheel tourist attraction. attraction. Near Old Montreal on the wharf side, so at the Ferris wheel, I, I headed east, and and at a, at a certain point, um, along that run, you you realize that you can't get back to the city. You're you're landlocked by the rail yards, so your your only choice is to keep going east along the Saint Lawrence shore and. Uh, so suddenly you see the Jacques Cartier Bridge, and it's kind of approaching, right? And it's looming, uh, It's like green, gray, black structure. Um, and, and so you realize it's it's kind of inad- inevitable. You got nowhere to go. You're gonna you're gonna run right beneath it. So, um, um, you know, at this point, it's a couple of years ago. As I said, I was much more familiar with um the very intricate details of this case so i knew that i was approaching uh pillar 26 um you, you know i knew that 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 that's what it was um and looking up i could see you know the service ladder leading down from you know the the highway the road above uh, down pillar twenty six, and you, I could see the catwalk, that wooden catwalk. It's now um, it's now closed to pedestrians. Thank God! I don't know what the hell it was doing open in seventy nine. But you could, you it, you know, it's still there. This this wooden um, catwalk it looks exactly the same underneath the steel framing. Um, and that as I say further out in the, in the St. Lawrence you can see you can see that highest point, pillar 111, 160 foot drop to the, to the face of the water, this, this, this impossible, bleak distance. So it's rough, as I say, choppy waters. It's like lake freighters moored along the shore. And there I am. And I'm, I'm running along alongside of it. It's just a very bizarre, haunting experience. This is Who Killed Teresa, and I'm your host, John Allure. Um, uh, points of business I want to get out of the way uh, the, the first is um, I've moved my hosting services I'm no longer going to be on SoundCloud I'm now on Spreaker just like speaker with an R S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R Spreaker who killed Teresa is there so if, if you're inclined to listen on SoundCloud um, that's going away You'll no longer be able to find new podcasts there. I'll keep the old content up for a bit, but um, I'll be over on this new platform now. Uh, And so when you visit Spreaker for the first time, if you like the podcast, it would be a feather in my cap and um, appreciated um, if you gave us a you know, a thumbs up, or I don't know what they have there. Can you review? Or you could share it. That'd be the best thing. You know, just share it with somebody, you know, you don't have to, you don't even have to share it on social media. You can, if you want, but, um, just tell somebody about it. Say, you know, I heard this podcast and I find it really interesting. Do it that way. That'll be, that'll be fine. Word of mouth. That'd be, that'd be really good. Um, and if you like it even more and, and you, you kind of want to delve into it. I mean, the first place is the website, Teresa lore.com where you'll find all kinds of content about, um, uh, I guess about unsolved murders in Canada. Um, you know, when I was setting up Spreaker, they were like, so what's your focus? What's your podcast about? And I, I bit the bullet bullet and I said, true crime. I think in the past I was saying like history and lore or something like it was a dungeons and dragons. <laughs> podcast or something it's not it's true crime you know what I'll own it from this point forward fine what the hell in a sea of true crime it is so specific it's about Quebec true crime in the 70s (laughs) I'll never get an audience Follow us on Twitter. I'm at, um, well, the podcast's Twitter handle is at Teresa Lor at T H E R E S A A L L O R E. And my Twitter handle is Justice Guy, J U S T U S G U Y. There's a Facebook page. It's just called uh, Who Killed Teresa, the podcast. You can find us over there. We occasionally post stuff on Instagram. Uh, there's a YouTube channel. Just search on Teresa Lore. Whole pile of stuff. I'm trying to consolidate things. There's now a Goodreads account. You can found that, find that on the website. If you go to the website, you can find most of the other platforms and choose the one that you you like. All right, enough of my yapin. Uh, I need to check out. Uh, it's getting indulgent. This has been Who Killed Teresa? I'm your host, John Allure. And have yourselves a great, great day.
1: is not the way I'm gonna be, don't mind the rain, don't mind snow.
3: À moins d'une heure, c'est pas bon Notre livre sera chez vous Un chez vous
1: Gym sessions and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard to remove odors. Clorox fabric sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our fabric sanitizer products. Search fabric sanitizer at clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed.